Today's dead idea, Viking Berserkers, and we are continuing our roleplay where Andre's character, Snorri Ankle Grabber, will face down his opponent at the Icelandic Allthing, or Great Assembly, whether in court or in a deadly duel. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, who experienced a terrifying omen last night. She dreamt she turned up for her court case at the All Thing, only to realize she wasn't wearing any pants. (laughs) (laughs) Thus making her a true berserker. (laughs) I think it's the other way. The other way, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but either way, it's bad. Bare skin on top, nothing on the bottom. We're finishing out our roleplay episodes today. Oh, I actually have a second intro joke. Ooh. This is a first in Dead Ideas. This is a twofer. First in Dead Ideas history. You ready? Yeah. Da dum dum. (laughs) Today, plaintiff Rachel presses her case against defendant Brandon for consistently failing to fully pull back the shower curtain. All that and more today on Da Dum Dum Berserker Court. With me once again is our co-host for the series, Andre Solo. And I'm all out of fly agaric. <laughs> oh no! The mushrooms. <laughs> yes. Your character does have them, My character though. has lots of magic mushrooms. Yeah. I have them running low. <laughs> Alright, so um, so let's just, before we dive into it, mm-hmm. let's just remind our listeners who your character is and what the situation is, right? Okay, right. so your name is... Snorri Ankle Grabber. Snorri Ankle Grabber. And there was a whole reason why Ankle Grabber. It's so a go really back impressive can... story if you hear Snorri tell it. Yeah, you can go back and listen to that one if you want that. Yeah. Okay. But you're a duelist, right? I'm a duelist. And I'm a, a berser- trained berserker. Trained berserker. Iceland is now at a tipping point between religions, and smoldering tensions have been ignited by the controversy over your mother's slaying by your stepfather. Okay, so last time you discovered that your heathen mother, she's an outspoken heathen, Stainun, gave birth to a lame child, and following Icelandic custom, this is a real custom at the time, mm-hmm. she exposed the child. Yep. No, like left, left it out. on some rocks to die. Correct, yes. But when your Christian stepfather, Isleif, found out that she did this, he flew into a rage and struck her, calling it an unchristian act to expose a child like that. The blow struck her so hard that she fell down dead. Now, this is like blown up on the social media of like Iceland, you know. <laughs> Everybody is divided over this controversy, and that's what's really fanning the flames of the already smoldering religious tensions on the island, okay? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, your honor demands that you avenge your mother's death. But you must do it wisely. Valgard the Grey has advised you to proceed carefully, pressing your case against Isleif at the All Thing the highest assembly in the land. That's where you're you're on your way to it right now. If you succeed at pressing your case at the Althing against Isleif, then you will have the legal right to slay Isleif with impunity to restore your family's honor. If you were to go and slay him without getting this legal sanction hmm. to do that, then you might find yourself tried and possibly outlawed. Got it. That's just how it worked. <clears throat> So, that's going to occupy the bulk of today's episode. But, Icelandic court cases are not nearly as dry as all of that might sound. (laughs) In fact, 
they almost never got all the way to the verdict at the end without either settlement out of court or violence. So, <laughs> yeah, and even in court, as we'll see, there's a little bit of a violence factor. Great. <laughs> so, it'll be interesting. I might be better else. at this lawyer gig than I thought. <laughs> okay. So, all of Iceland's fate hangs in the balance with the outcome of this court case because who knows it could be like the oj simpson trials where just riots ensue when they you know when you hear the outcome right so whether the island in fact even remains heathen or turns christian could possibly be in your hands hmm. i'm i'm willing to uh, deviate from history on that right. point <laughs> right depending on how things go well i'm like 16 and ready to go berserk at any minute so yeah. i feel good about this responsibility i've been given yeah <laughs> Actually, I don't know how old my character is, but probably a teenager. Yeah, I think you were like 15, 16 okay. last time. So on the way to the All Thing last time, you also had your fortune told by Heathen Sorcerer, and you recruited a follower who was a juggler named Gilly. He's a juggler? Yes, he Forgot was a juggler. That yeah. yeah, that's why like he rescued had him the, from a grave. the special um, legal things about like when he was struck he couldn't do what you're doing <laughs> he had to do that weird thing with the cow that was greased with a tail he was wearing greased oh, shoes right. and yeah. he fell down yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay by the way the route you took last time mm -hmm. um which was sailing up Valfjörður, which means whale fjord when i looked at adam mckithern's custom map that he made for us i noticed that what you would have done if you sailed that way you would have sailed between two volcanoes <laughs> so that I thought was really awesome. Thanks again to Adam for making wow. that amazing map. It's an impressive map. Yeah, you can see that on the website, deadideas.net. Go to the episode post. It's on there. Uh, okay, so let's begin. You arrive at Thingvolar, which literally means the fields of assembly or assembly fields. Mm. And this is the site of the highest governmental assembly in the land, the All Thing which is actually a national park today. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So you're arriving at Thingvöller, and the terrain is rugged with black lava plains, literally lava plains, <laughs> like lava rocks, <laughs> right? Mighty boulders, low mountains on the horizon, and there's a river called the Uxara, meaning Axe River. <laughs> of course, okay. because of course it is. It's a Viking river, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, on the east bank of the Oxara are set up dozens of booths comprised of low rings of stone and earth over which tents are pitched as roofs. And this is something that archaeologists can go and study today is those rings of stones, right? Mm -hmm. But at the time, you would have had these rings of stone and then you would pitch your tent over it to complete that and make a booth. Each chieftain and person of influence would likely have their own booth here. The richer and the more powerful the man, the more well-appointed the booth. Hmm. You, of course, being young and new to the all thing, have no such booth. Nevertheless, the assembly is open even to a youngling like you. Anyone over the age of 12 with a permanent residence has the right to speak and bring charges. Hmm. Now, interestingly, the one exception is you can't be a woman. Well, eh. yeah, right, as standard uh, for the ancient yeah. world, but bad, still. Yeah. Okay, so moving through the crowd, you see there are many more here than just the politically minded. There are all kinds of brewers and craftsmen selling their wares. There are young adults that are actually advertising for spouses, like looking for, mm. <laughs> looking for marriageable candidates, Reasonable. right? Yep. Most of all, the all thing 
is actually an information clearinghouse for Iceland, mm. in which you can hear tell of all kinds of different matters, political and non-political, including wonders from across the Viking world. For example, as you're moving through the crowd, you overhear of a wondrous people from a land far to the south that they are calling the Blamabir. <laughs> and that means blue men. Hmm. And their skin is so dark you cannot tell if they are alive or dead. Hmm. So, there's some nice, like, racial how's it for you going on in the Viking world. It's funny because I knew it was definitely like a bizarre racial description, but I can't even... So yeah, that's how the Vikings described black people, was blue men. And then right after they say that, they're like, but I mean, you know, nothing wrong with that. But nothing not, wrong not in a racist way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not racist, but... <laughs> I heard. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strangely, though, the assembly crowd, to you at least, seems small for such a great gathering. Smaller than you would have expected. Hmm. You almost wonder if descriptions of the all thing have in fact been exaggerated. But then... Just as you are contemplating that thought, a great rumbling reaches your ears. And you see masses of men approaching, marching in formation. Oh, I was getting ready for Christian starships coming down. (laughs) 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 Above these masses of men fly banners marked with a cross. Then, from the opposite end of the lava plains, comes a second mass of men approaching, (laughs) bearing the hammer of Thor, the god of thunder. And the two formations... I start acting like a fool. I'm like, give up a thorn! (laughs) You're like the cheerleader. Yeah, I'm just cheering (laughs) like crazy. And then the two formations, each an army of hundreds of men, weapons at their side, stop a few hundred yards from each other. And their leaders then proceed to the Lugberg, which means Law Rock, which is a great boulder atop which legal announcements are made. Hmm. A crowd rushes in to hear what the leaders have to say. Top the law rock, the leaders declare that their two religions can no longer coexist as one community. What? Yeah, this part's actually from the real history. Wow. Yeah, this is, I'm not making this I didn't up. know this was like a formal, like, that's it, it's on kind of like announcement. Yep. Wow. Yep. They can no longer exist as one community. If by the end of this all thing, no peaceful resolution has been found, they shall henceforth be out of law with each other. Meaning... <laughs> There's like a secession, like two Icelands, neither one recognizes the other one's stuff. Exactly. And when you have no legal rights recognized by the other party, that is what being an outlaw means. Right. When you're an outlaw, you have no legal protections, and that's why people can kill you with impunity. That's why you want to make Islif get convicted of, to be an outlaw so you can kill him. Right. Right? This would mean that all the Christians would consider all the heathens outlaws and right. vice versa. Yeah, so it would just be open warfare. (laughs) Exactly. Quick question. Yeah. When the two sides were rumbling in with their banners, do I get a sense of which side is larger in numbers? They're about equal. Yeah. Now, the part about them henceforth being out of law with each other, that part I am not making up. Wow. Yeah. I'm only saying that they're saying by the end of the all thing, they'll Mm -hmm. be out out of law with each other. In the actual story, and this comes from Niall's saga, they just say that straight up. Like, hereby we are out of law with each other. Yeah. Wow. And then... So that's the only thing they can agree on, because the leaders from both got up on the law rock to make this announcement together. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing we Scandinavian Vikings can agree on is, <laughs> we're at war! 
But in order to make the timeline make sense, right. just stipulating that. Because even in the story, it still doesn't quite make sense, but we don't need to get into that. Okay, so anyway, suffice to say that it's clear to you and everyone else that this cannot be good. Right. Right? It sounds okay. pretty great, actually. Start killing Christians. <laughs> Which I just, I just want to say for listeners, like, I am bringing on the hate to try to be, like, in, in character, character with this yeah. person. Because your character is rapidly heathen. He probably yeah. is now that his rapidly heathen mom. He probably would have yeah. been like a little more neutral before, yeah. but like, and it was the Christian who killed, and they're throwing the church behind the guy that killed her. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah. in real life, like, you can all get along. Yeah. So a great murmur rises up from the crowd, for this is unprecedented, and it almost certainly means civil war is inevitable. Now the Christians proceed to name Hall of Sida as their law speaker. And the heathens, I assume, name their own. He's not mentioned in the story. <laughs> because we know how it turned out in the real yeah, world. So Exactly. Yeah. But he, they must have named their own. Then an interesting thing happens. The Christian law speaker... Wait, wait. Can, can, the, can, can the heathen law speaker's name be Thor Thorvald Thorson? <laughs> sure. <laughs> in our story, it is. He's the thoriest Thor of all. Yes, he's yeah. the thoriest. Yeah. Then an interesting thing happens. The Christian law speaker that they just named, Hall of Sida, nominates a final judge to adjudicate between him and the heathen law speaker. So they're putting one above them to be like like a final decision maker. Well, who do they choose? Like a Jewish guy from somewhere? <laughs> like... Well, that's the interesting part. Surprisingly, he names your own Godi, hmm. so your own chieftain, with whom your family is in thing, meaning hmm. you've sworn allegiance to this guy, Thorgir, and this name is crazy, Thorgir Liosvetningagodi. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uncle Leo. Yeah. <laughs> but this, the most surprising thing about this Thorgir is that he is a heathen. Right. The Christian is nominating a heathen to be to, the presiding To judge. be the final judge. Does my uncle have a reputation as being like extremely fair-minded or... or... Something or like what? What is my uncle's reputation? He's not your uncle. Oh, sorry, my He's just my your Gothi, chieftain. Gothi's, yeah, my chieftain's reputation. Um, it doesn't actually say in the saga. Okay, it's no indication of why he was considered neutral. He's just highly respected, maybe. I I am a little worried that maybe he's been bribed or is going to sell out. But... Interesting thought. Yeah. By the end of the all thing, Thorgir must find a solution, or there will surely be civil war. Okay, so now at this point, we're going to move into. The game of law. All right. So okay. this is this is your court case, which is more than just the trial. There's like a lead up to the trial, and there's the trial, and then like the final verdict of the trial. Okay. If it makes it that far. Right. <laughs> which, actually, I could not personally find a single instance in the sagas of a trial that made it all the way to the verdict. <laughs> it almost always ended in either a settlement or somebody dueling the other side or something like that. Which... You know, to be fair, minus the dueling is how most court cases today proceed as well. Most civil court That's cases. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to be something of a game within a game. I've got a whole, like, system set up for how this court trial is going to be decided. And there's going to be lots of things you can do to tip the advantage to your side. Right. But your opponents are going to be trying to do the same thing. Right. So we're going to progress through the phases of a typical Icelandic lawsuit so that we can get a feeling for how this sort of thing actually went. And we've got these from the saga, so we have some idea Great. of, like, this is how it went, right? So I'm going to be relying quite heavily on Professor uh, Jesse Bjork's article, Justice Done, Outlawry Crimes in Medieval Iceland, for the outlines here. 
The court decision, that is, like I said, if it makes it that far, will in the end, as far as our game is concerned, come down to a single rock-paper-raven test. So like the <laughs> rock-paper-raven shoot, yep. right? And your goal as a player is to get as many advantages to help you in the end there. And just to make it clear, we've got an advantage tracker. <laughs> it's so a very like, advanced GMing tool. As he, Yes. As he accumulates advantages, we're moving a token along the tracker into the green. If uh, he gets disadvantages or his opponent gets you know something in their favor, it moves the other way into the red, and we'll be announcing that as we go. So it just tells, you know, where are we relative to where we want to be. Right. Okay? All right. So, so on this advantage tracker, you are going to start out at negative two because you're in a tough spot. Isleaf is being represented by his father, Geetzer the White, who is expert at pleading cases. And also, he has many powerful allies, so negative two for you. So you're okay. already in the hole, you're going to want to dig yourself out, right. and if possible, get to advantage. Yep. Right. Okay. Now, as I also alluded to, the trial may not make it to the end, and if it does look like either A, it's not going to end in your favor, or for whatever other reason you want to short circuit and keep it from getting to the end, mm -hmm. you have some other things that you can do. And that's right. also on your handout here. So, so can I present my options? Yes, you okay. can present your options. So I can settle out of I can try to settle out of court. Right. Which you mean I would go to Geezer and be like, let's work out a deal, you pay me some money, exactly. and I pretend I'm not angry that you literally Yeah. In literally which case you would have to convince them to do that. Yes, correct. Yep. Another option. I could ask for arbitration. So ask user if he will submit the decision with me to some neutral parties. They'll make the decision, and that's final, no trial. And that would mean that none of the advantage tracking comes into play. It's just a straight neutral party. Exactly. It means nobody has advantage or disadvantage. Right. And again, you'd have to convince them to that. So that would be a tough sell if yes. you were in the hole. Correct. Yeah. Or my final option would be I could just straight up challenge Geezer to Honggong, which yep. is a duel. The duel. I am a duelist, so it's a appealing exactly. option. And that would mean if he accepts, and if we go to the duel and I win, uh, then the court case is moot, and I I basically get to kill him in the duel. Is that the deal? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't render the legal court case moot, but if he's dead, he's dead. <laughs> but I think, like, legalistically, though, like, if he's accepted the duel, then me killing him, it doesn't matter if he's an outlaw or not, because he accepted the terms of the duel. Is that right? So what you would, I think you, what you would do is when you do a duel, mm -hmm. you specify what the stakes are. Right. And so what you would do is you would request him to agree whether we're going to continue with this court case or what, right. you know, you would have to bargain for him of what the stakes are for the duel. But unless he, you know, unless one of us were to, you know, be wounded and beg for mercy, a duel is normally to the death in these circumstances. So a homegong is to first blood. First blood. Okay. Yeah. Not right. to the death. Yeah. So he wouldn't necessarily be dead after the duel anyway. Correct. So we'd have to make sure the stakes were right. Okay. So with all that introduction, now it's time for the dum dum berserker court, right? So, Okay, the first phase is announcing the case at the Law Rock. You have to tell everybody, mm -hmm. this is my charge, this is the person I'm charging it against, mm -hmm. right? So everybody knows what's going on, right? And you have one decision that you have to make. This is the key decision before you announce your case. And that's, well, the charge is manslaughter, but you, it can be punishable either with lesser outlawry, mm -hmm. which means that he's banished for three years, and then he can come back. Or you can go for full outlawry, which means he's permanently banished, 
anybody can kill him with impunity. Uh, he has no legal protections under the law. It's just like, no, you're done. You're not part of our society anymore. We treat you with no greater rights than an animal. Okay. And the uh, stakes here are, if you go for lesser outlawry, it'll be an easier conviction. Mm -hmm. But if you go for full outlawry, it'll be a tougher conviction. So it's going to put you one back on the advantage tracker. But that is likely to be more what your heathen side wants yeah, and more likely to produce a dramatic enough case to influence the course of history. I like this a lot. So uh, here's a technical question. Yeah. Manslaughter is leaf, obviously, is the person charging with manslaughter. Yep. I also feel like there's a second charge here. Okay. Which is, I guess I'm wondering if this would be a thing, right? Okay. So in this case... The accepted practice, the accepted tradition is maimed or malformed children are left out for expo babies are left out for exposure mm -hmm. for the elements to kill them. Mm -hmm. And this guy didn't just murder my mom. He also basically flagrantly went against, disrespected that like this is how one treats, this is how one acts with these types of... Okay. So I'm wondering, is there some kind of like charge or thing like and for disrespecting the traditions of our people or violating custom or something like that uh, so far as i am aware of the history of it mm -hmm. i don't know of any charge like that but i think if i was you i would use that to sway the jury yeah when you are allowed to speak in front of the court i think that would be a good way to do it if your strategy is to appeal to their spirit of tradition. So that would be more like, I'll get a chance to speak later and give my case, and that would be more for that. Correct. So Isleaf is the guy that did the crime. Yep. Geezer, his father, what is his role in this? Why am I dealing with Geezer and not Isleaf? Geezer is Geezer. representing him. Geezer is basically his lawyer. In an Icelandic court case, the accused is not allowed to be present if the punishment is outlawry or greater. Isleaf would actually be like held in chains, maybe, or, or at least like secluded to his family. Yeah, like making sure making sure that he can't <clears throat> run away. I think I'm ready to give a proclamation. Okay. Now, the words that you say is actually formulaic, and I'll okay. have you read them out. Happy to do that. This is going to be a challenge, but it's not what you say, but how you say it when you address the crowd. So it's mm. the nonverbals that you're going for here. In order to sway the crowd in your favor, hmm. and this is going to be a, a public oratory okay. kind of challenge. This is great. Okay. Yeah. So you've got your punishment decided, lesser or full outlaw outlawry? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you mount the law rock, and uh, this is the same rock that the two leaders just announced themselves out of law with each other, right? And so you mount the rock. Everybody's eyes are on you waiting to see what this pimply-faced boy is going to say. All right, great. So I'm up there. I've got my wolf skin on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I've got a raven feather in my hair. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to speak with the voice of the heathen people. Yes. Okay. I, Snorri, the ankle grabber, son of Stanon. <laughs> I can't even... <laughs> okay. <laughs> son of Stanon, give notice of two suits! A suit for manslaughter, most foul, punishable under the law, against Isleaf, Geetzer's son, for his act of manslaughter, punishable under the law. This is really what I'm supposed to say? I yep. say it twice? <laughs> yep. Okay. 
This is straight out of the sagas. Against Stainon, my beloved mother, in which he inflicted on her brain a wound, or else an internal wound, or else perchance a marrow wound, which became a mortal wound, and which brought about the death of Stainon, I herewith declare that he, Isleaf, should be punished by full outlawry. I give notice of this suit according to the law. I give notice so all the men of the Lawmount may hear me. I further give notice of a suit for violating the traditions and laws of Iceland, punishable under the law against Gietzer, missionary of Christ, for his act of sanctioning an illegal act, and the act of his church for sanctioning an illegal act, punishable under the law for preventing the administration of justice for those infants woefully born in a maimed and malformed state. I herewith declare that he, Gietzer, missionary of Christ, should be punished by lesser outlawry and banishment from the nation of Iceland. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's all this great murmur of the crowd when you bring the second suit, when you mention the second suit that you're seeking to outlaw even Gietzer for yes. the violation of tradition. There's a great murmur of the crowd and people like discussing, wait, can you do that? Is that a law? Yes, this will decide a new precedent. Yeah, they're like, I don't, does he doesn't, he's a kid, obviously he doesn't know what he's saying. So let's do a public oratory test Woo! to see <laughs> if you sway them. Like, maybe this is a legal thing. Right. Right. Uh, you do not have any advantage or disadvantage. Neutral, right? It's just neutral. So a tie is redo. Okay. Okay. Rock, paper, raven, shoot, and you got it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Raven devours legal document paper. <laughs> okay. So you, yeah. So you sway the crowd like oh, I don't know. Maybe this is something new. It makes sense if you're violating custom. <laughs> And other people are like, no, but the voices in favor of you are like, let's hear the boy out. Yes. All right. So you're going to go. They want a dramatic case. They got it. You're going to move one forward on the advantage track. So you're at negative one now. That's great. Okay. Yes. All right. Very nice. (laughs) Okay. So now we move from the first phase, which is announcing your case, Mm -hmm. to the second phase, a second preliminary phase anyway of the game of law in Iceland. Okay. The second phase is gathering supporters. Yes. So we're still not at the trial itself yet. Mm-hmm. We're building up to the trial. Okay. Here's what this phase is all about. This is all this is all straight from the sagas, right? You want your supporters at the trial to outnumber the supporters of your opponent. We're just talking about people sitting in the audience watching. Mm-hmm. They don't have any legal role in the trial. Right. So why do you want this? This seems to be really important. In the sagas, they give a lot of attention to this. What's the deal? Well, according to Professor of Law William Ian Miller, it's not about the legalities of this at all, but about intimidation. Specifically, the threat is that if the case doesn't go your way, the crowd might break into violence. And if your side outnumbers the other you're going to win. Right. So So the people who actually get to vote and make the decision are paying attention to how many people are cheering and booing and is the mob going to just devour me if I make the wrong choice here? Yes, okay. exactly. So they'll actually change, they'll actually vote according to what they're, in some case, if it's a dramatic enough crowd, what they think the crowd wants. Yeah, if it's like a clear thing, they you could imagine them feeling the pressure of that right. and possibly compromising their principles i guess you know that's pretty cool yeah 
Okay, so how do you want to go about this? I mean, you could, first of all, it's going to be a private negotiations test to, okay. to try to get supporters, right? So in other words, um, the only can... successful role I'll make in this entire session was the one that just happened. <laughs> so you could approach heathens, you could approach Christians, but I know you have some ideas already of what you want to do. I do. I definitely want to talk with the chief. Yes, your chieftain. Yes. His name is Thorgir. So I want to talk to him, go around to the heathen chiefs in general, and at some point I should probably go and challenge Dickwad to a duel. Okay, sounds yeah. good. Wait, which Dickwad? <laughs> Geetzer. Okay, before the trial well, even starts. Well, I guess, I guess technically it would be with Isleaf, right? Would be the main important duel. Yeah. Oh, that would, I mean, there might be, be some, some duels. Yeah. There would be, yeah. might right. be some duels involved. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. How it goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be a private negotiations test with all these guys. And remember, the reason why you specifically have disadvantage on this is because people don't trust duelists, because there have been a lot of duelists who have been exploiting the dueling custom mm. for, to their own advantage. <laughs> like I'm kind of planning to do. Yeah, because right. you're know, like, well, even more than that, uh, like lots of berserkers, in fact, will challenge like a farmer who doesn't really oh. know how to defend himself for his land. Right. And then when inevitably the berserker wins, the berserker gets all his land and everything so oh yeah that's ridiculous yeah so yeah. that's what people don't really trust duelists i'm wearing that's it why like you a, have a disadvantage a, a t-sark that says not, hashtag not all berserkers <laughs> right <laughs> very good yeah okay so first you're going to thorgir yeah that's so a good thorgir is actually in... first i'd like to go to the i'd like to go to the the polytheist chiefs in general the heathen chiefs kind of like go like kind of boost to boost get a sense of mm -hmm. who's thinking what feel them out seeing if any of them are like going to have sympathy with my cause what their thoughts are on this outlying christians thing uh -huh. basically i want to see if any of them will be my supporters for my suit my pair of suits yeah you feel like you can probably drum up support but a lot of them are very concerned about the fate of iceland and if if things don't go their way what's their fate going to be afterward you know so mm -hmm. a lot of them are willing to support you secretly right uh, other ones are a little more brazen and will support you openly. Hmm. And a lot of them, you get the feeling like you're not sure you can trust yeah. what they're saying they will do. That makes sense. Because the stakes are pretty high for them. They could go down bad if they Absolutely. Away. When I'm identifying people who are strong heathens, they're passionate about this issue, mm -hmm. and they seem like they'd be willing to publicly support me, mm -hmm. what I want to do is basically... Get those guys then to come back with me or to go on their own and talk to the ones who are more on the fence or more like, well, I'm in your favor, but I don't know if I want to publicly do it. Uh -huh. And I think in order to sway those guys, because I think the tack that I want to take and I want these strong supporters to take when they kind of canvas for me is think about it. The Christians follow a God who is a lamb <laughs> and there's only one of him. And we follow gods who are warriors, and they are many and mighty. Who's going to come out ahead in a landscape where the two sides are outlawed to each other? The warrior gods or the god of peace? <laughs> so that's like, first I just talked to the hardcore, the hardliners, who are yep. probably my support no matter what. Yeah. And I want them to take that message to try to negotiate Got with it. the on-the-fence guys. Okay. Yeah. So you're using them as your missionaries. Correct. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. You got to right. take the good parts of Christianity, the good ideas, and use them. Got just it. throw away the bad. Okay. Yeah. All right. What else do you want to do? Probably next would be Thorgir. Okay. So Thorgir being your chieftain and also the decider right. between the two law speakers of the Christians and the heathens. Exactly. Okay. And my goal with him specifically is to get a sense of why he was chosen for this and what his sentiments are. And I'm especially 
I mean, I want to be kind and respectful to him. He is my chief. And mm-hmm. hopefully if I can get him on my side, that's amazing for me. Sure. But he might be reluctant to get on my side because he's supposed to be neutral to this other thing. Right. So while being respectful, the main thing I want to be looking for is feeling out his sentiments and especially looking for any sign of like, maybe he's more sympathetic to the Christians than we think. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's about to surprise convert to Christianity publicly. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's been paid off. I don't know. Like, sure. why would they choose him? Sure. Ah. Okay. So... Okay, so you're not really negotiating. You're just talking with him to try to get a, a sense for him. Yeah, you're right now I want to just role. get information. Yeah. Yeah, and then it would end up being possibly trying to get him on the side as well. Okay, so we'll call that uh, its own like rock, paper, raven throw. Okay. And no advantage or disadvantage because um, it's not actually negotiations. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, okay. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Okay. Tie. Tie. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. And he lost. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so he's a hard guy to read, right. and that might be why they chose him, because mm. he has a very practiced political poker face. Yeah. Um, he makes you feel like he's on your side the entire time you're talking to him, and the second you get outside of his booth, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that kind of politician. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. some things are eternal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got more plans. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else can we do? Do we have time? Uh, not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Couple quick ones? Uh, how about you say them and if it... All right, perfect. I can delete them if it's, they're... It's two other things. Okay. First one is going to be going around to the other... Because not everybody hears a Viking, per se, like a Viking warrior. So a Viking is actually more like a profession. Right, like, exactly. If you go yeah. a Viking, you are... A Viking. So but some of the people here are Vikings who have gone. Some of the people here are warriors who have gone to Vikings. Some are not. Yeah. So I want to kind of go around to the most rapacious um, Vikings and those, especially who are known berserkers. Mm-hmm. And I want to just like kind of talk to them and be like, "Listen, have you been inside their churches? <laughs> Do you know what they've got in there? I'm talking a cross made of gold this big and all like gesture, you know? You're like, yeah, we've taken so many of them that there hardly have any left. <laughs> oh, but they got them. This is a church not like a day's march from here that still has stuff in it. What I'm saying is if we outlaw this religion, if we come through on these suits and win, that's in your favor. We're going to start raiding them and get all of this stuff. They can't even fight. Half of them are monks. (laughs) And not the kung fu kind. Yes, but we're talking about the Icelanders. The Icelanders aren't. Even the Christian Icelanders aren't monks usually. And they can fight. There are some good fighters among the Christians. I won't deny it. But I think we all know, when push comes to shove, we're going to be better at carrying off that gold than they're going to be at holding on to it. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so you get a little bit of a vibe off of them that they're like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes some sense, actually, if you think about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they get to be a little bit of a buzz going in that community. Okay. Yeah. Um, the last one would be, I've got these um, palliative herbs that were originally supposed to be for my mom for making, basically for making childbirth go well, right? Yeah. It was like to ease the pain of childbirth. Great. So I'm going to, while I'm doing all this, have Gelly kind of walking around and getting, you know, hearsay and rumors. And I want to identify somebody who's either not seriously all that known to be Christian or is overtly heathen. Somebody who's got a, if they're Christian, great. Actually, that's even better. Okay. If they're Christian, that's the best. Okay. Somebody who has got a wife who's pregnant. And especially if it's somebody who there's been bad omens about the pregnancy or anything unusual, or they're worried because she's had three kids and had troubles before or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And then I can go to that person and be like, Hey, these are supposed to be for my own mother. And you know what happened to her, unfortunately, but Mm -hmm. instead 
I would trade them to you. The only thing I would ask in return would be your support at the all thing. Very good. Okay, so with all of that in place, like you've leveraged enough favor mm -hmm. that it completely cancels out the distrust against you as a duelist. Okay, great. And so that the private negotiations role that will decide all this, how mm -hmm. this goes, will just be a straight role. Okay. No advantage or disadvantage. And this is one role for all of the various yep. allies I'm trying to recruit? For the entire phase. Huh. All right. All right. Wait, does bribing people with my remaining wool help at all? You can do that too. <laughs> well, I don't need to have one. Okay. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Okay. Tie, rock, paper, raven, shoot. Tie, <laughs> rock, paper, raven, shoot. Tie again, <laughs> rock, paper, raven, shoot. And you win. Okay. Bear Sark covers rock. All right. Advantage tracker advances now to zero. So you're at... Even odds oh, to win or lose your Louise. final case. Hard to win these cases. No wonder people settle. <laughs> All that time. Okay, now we advance to the actual trial itself. Okay. Okay. So, this is like the next... This has been days, actually. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. The court assembles in the open air. There are three rings of benches. The Gothar, that is the priest chieftains of Iceland, sit in the middle bench of the three rings of benches each with a thingman seated in front of them and behind them. So the inside ring and the outside ring are like advisors, and then the actual chieftains sit in the middle ring, and they could like whisper back and forth between their two advisors in front and behind them. Hmm. At least as far as history is concerned, this is how it was arranged for the Lograta or the law council, and I can only assume it would be the same. Similar, order. yeah, uh, yeah. Right. You sit on one side along with your supporters. Not among that three arrangement. You'd probably be like, not in any of the benches, right, right, right. but just like nearby standing. In the or crowd near. Yeah, in yeah. the crowd near. On the other side are numerous supporters of Islif, mostly Christian supporters, mm -hmm. right? Islif himself, as I noted, is not there because if you are the actual accused of a trial where the punishment is outlawry, you're not allowed to. You're, like, restrained somewhere, so you don't run away. So who's representing Gietzer? So Islif is being rep represented by Gietzer. Who is now also now, on trial Gietzer. for outlawry. So who's representing, since he can't be here? Good question. Oh, man. Why did I agree to this? <laughs> yes! Okay. Okay, wow. I didn't think through the implications of that. <laughs> So the, the, I didn't either, but that the, just came to it me. It did go in your favor. It did go in my favor. So to be fair, as a game master here, yeah, um, you have officially initiated a trial mm -hmm. against Gietze the White, so he can no longer represent Islif. As a result, they get uh, someone to represent Islif and Gietze mm -hmm. as one trial, and that person is not nearly as good of a lawyer as Gietze was. Boss. So... That removes that advantage from him. So you can go up one? one on the yes. advantage tracker. Eat it, Geats. That was clever. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I was waiting I'm, for the reveal almost, on that. I'm almost resenting how clever that was. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I actually did not think of that when I initially made the second <laughs> charge. It was later, I was like, oh, I can't wait to build this out. Oh, yeah. yeah. So okay. I'm not as clever as it sounds. Okay, very good. Okay, so anyway, this other guy is kind of like, he looks really bookish. He's kind of like thin and like his robes just kind of like hang off him like like they're just on a hanger, you know? It's like you can't tell where his body is because it's all just billowy robes. And he just doesn't seem to have quite the same charisma and presence as Kitzer did. 
Okay, so the speakers in this trial stand in the center of the ring arrangement that I described, okay. so that you're actually presenting in 360 degrees, kind of like Shakespeare's Theatre in the Round, that kind of a setup. And this is going to be your battleground, at least for now. Right now, this is an arena of words. We'll see if later it turns into something else. Um, there are three phases to the trial itself. Presenting your case, your opponent's defense against your accusations, and finally the resolution. Each one of these will have its own rock, paper, raven throw. And the resolution test at the very end, that's the one where the advantage tracker decides whether you have advantage or disadvantage. So everything is bearing on that final one. So the, the advantage resolution. tracker does not apply to the intermediary ones. The intermediary okay. ones, nope. Right. Yep. So I establish the case, and I make an oratory test. They make a defense, and they make some kind of test? But it's still the two At of At the us. end, it's, it's just going to be just abstractly a test of what the jury decides. Got it. If it makes it that far. Okay. Okay. So phase one is you presenting your case. So the trial opens with you and this uh, other attorney. Let's call him... Bork. That was an actual name that I found. <laughs> this is not the <laughs> usual GM grasping at straws for a name. Let's call him Bork. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bork is his name. Okay. Okay. With his legal assistant, Bindi? <laughs> Bork and Bindi. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you and Bork each take oaths of honesty. Then you each name six jurymen so that there's a total of 12. Hmm. Okay. And they will ultimately decide the case if you do not otherwise come to a settlement between yourselves. Great. Okay? Next, witnesses are presented. Now, this is what Valgard the Grey procured for you, and the witnesses are usually like the nine people that are nearest to the scene of the crime, and they're less like eyewitnesses, like, I saw and I can attest what happened exactly, and more like, I was close enough to the scene of the crime that I kind of heard it before the Whispers game turned it into something crazy. <laughs> and also, I went to the scene of the crime to verify that, well, the way it looks, everything is arranged, it seems to fit the story. Right. And then they testify to that fact. Right. You know, to say that you're not outright lying, basically. Right. And it's important that you name nine, because, like, if you name the wrong number of witnesses for the particular charge that you're doing, mm. then they, they can call you on that as like point of order right. and you could be outlawed for that <laughs> i know wow like any point of order that you get wrong basically Ooh. in an icelandic lawsuit no wonder people you can be outlawed. oh my gosh wow <laughs> it's crazy yeah um it doesn't always come to that but right there's the threat of outlawry okay so that all happens the witnesses testify yep it's exactly how you, both of you said... So I've got the midwife who saw the deformed kid, and I've got the neighbor that he had confessed to that exactly. he did it. And all okay. of that. And yep. seven other schmucks. Yep. Yeah. Right. So it's not a dispute of the facts of the case. Nobody's disputing that. Let me... So I think for the purpose of expediency, we're just yep. going to roll this all into the case of Isleaf, even though I suppose procedurally we would do all of this for Isleaf and then all this about the... Yes. We're going to call it one suit. Is that yeah. the... Okay, yeah. That's just totally, to, just yeah. to speed it along. But right. yeah, probably it would end up being two different trials entirely. Right. This is why you hire a lawyer. <laughs> okay. Next, Bork has the ch <laughs> Every Bork time. has the chance to challenge the witnesses. For example, if any of the witnesses are themselves possibly guilty of outlaw-worthy crimes, then they can be kicked from the trial. Right. And they can be thrown out. And then I believe the case might even be dismissed for having insufficient witnesses. Right. That's 
another way that you can game the system in your right. favor. Like, there's a lot of ways to, like, play, what do I call it, like a John Grisham-y kind of character on right. this, where you just, like, yeah, you're just really needling on points of law. Uh, so, uh, Bork, like, questions them, but he doesn't find any of them amiss. So, right. that's fine. Perfect. Right? Okay. Lastly, you, and this is your part where you can do something now, right, right. have the opportunity to summarize your case for the court, and in doing so, potentially sway your audience, hmm. including the jury, right? Right. And remember, you're not disputing any facts of what happened because Isleaf admits everything fully, but this is a trial about whether or not he deserves the punishment that you are seeking, which is uh, full outlawry for him, lesser outlawry for and Isleaf, right? Yeah. For Gitter. So, so that's the same thing, in fact. Oh, so he has to leave Iceland. He has I, to I, leave Iceland. Iceland, yes. Oh, okay, got yeah, it. So the thing so he, can't, less... he can't choose three homesteads and stay around in Ireland. He's got to leave the country. That's, what that's right. I wasn't clear on that earlier. Yeah. You have a limited amount of time <laughs> to get out of Iceland, got and it. that protects you during that time. Okay, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, then you can come back after three years. Right. Okay, so it's that's what, that's what the matter is here, whether or not they deserve the punishments that you're seeking. Okay? And... What this will eventually come down to will be the public oratory test because mm -hmm. um, you're trying to sway a crowd here, specifically the jury. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Yeah. So you have the floor. Okay. So I think it's a it's a two part case. Okay. One part is the case against Isleaf, mm -hmm. and the second part is the case against Gitzer. Okay. For the case against Isleaf, I am going to start by addressing the jurors and say something to the effect of. This charge would normally mm -hmm. be an easy charge to resolve mm -hmm. because the man has told, he has confessed to multiple neighbors, mm -hmm. and he does not deny it now. In fact, he has gone to the church of his God and had it broadcast that he did this. Everyone in Iceland knows that he admits that he did this. There is no question of his guilt. Were this a normal case? Mm -hmm. The only complication is that this man is claiming that he did it for just cause. Mm -hmm. That my mother, who bore me from her womb, was at fault for her own death because she followed Icelandic custom. Mm -hmm. Now, if she had done something wrong, if she had murdered a strapping young and healthy boy, then he would be right. My case would be weak. Mm -hmm. And what could I possibly bring against him? But that is not the situation here. The facts are clear. Mm -hmm. There's no dispute that the child was born deformed. There's no question of the sort of life this child would have had had it been allowed to fester and grow. <laughs> I'm just going to really try to hit that, like, oh, I get their, like, revulsion. I'll, like, describe the deformities in detail. And, like, if it even lived to three years, to one year, to three months old, and the suffering it would go through, and what work could it do? Whose thrall could it even be? Mm -hmm. Even a... a, a an indebted thrall would not accept this child. That is the life that he was trying to give this poor being. Mm -hmm. So she was doing what is right, and she was killed for doing what is right. I do not think it is a complicated case. I think the conclusion you must come to is clear. And that's my first part. Okay. The Excellent. second part is going to be about Gitzer. And I'm going to start by addressing, like, the concerns, obviously, that they might have. And I'm going to say, if my son was accused of a crime and came to me, I would want to give him refuge 
and I would want to represent him if I could. If my son was accused of a crime and came to me and I thought that perhaps the accusation was true, as a father, what would I do? I might still be tempted to give him refuge and represent him, even if I thought he was guilty. But if my son was accused of a crime and came to me, what I would not do is go to all of the chieftains and priests of, of Iceland and tell them we must now change the law to make what my son did legal and to make the victim of my son's crime an outlaw. What sort of man uses the power of his office, appointed to serve a god, mm -hmm. to change the laws of his nation to benefit his own child and to leave all of the victims of crime without recourse? Now, we have established that it is an easy question whether Islif was wrong in killing my mother. And therefore, if you find that he was wrong, you cannot help but to also find that Geetzer is in the wrong. Because if what his son did is, as we all know, a violation of the laws of Iceland, then what the father is doing is also a violation of the laws of Iceland. Hmm. That's my case. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. I find it interesting that you avoided bringing up any overtly religious themes. Right. Yeah. So as not to incite one side or the other. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's probably not going to help my case. Right. So you focused on tradition and actual points of law. Yes. Okay. Very professionally done. <laughs> All right. So... I have probably listened to more legal podcasts than Snowy Ankle Grabber has. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Okay. Okay. So this is going to be an oratory test. Okay. So no advantage or disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you ready for it? Yeah. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Tie. <laughs> okay. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Oh, you lose. Oh. Sorry. Oh, okay. too bad. Okay. Okay. So that unfortunately puts you back one on the advantage tracker. So, so we get neutral. back to neutral, back yeah. to zero. Okay. So it seems that the crowd found your argument, although legally well argued, hmm. perhaps. Perhaps a touch academic. <laughs> when it what, is a Viking crown. Yeah, probably should have. When what they yeah. were looking for was passion. Right. So you tried to read the crowd and the circumstances, but you just didn't have the experience to do so, and you just happened to get it wrong. Got it. Got yep. it. Now comes phase two of the trial itself, mm -hmm. the defense. So now it is Bork's turn to represent Isleaf right. and Geetzer. <laughs> and so huh. he's like, <laughs> shuffling his parchment papers or whatever he's got. Is this where the crowd is playing an influence too? Like during this whole process or that'll yeah. be at the final? The crowd at the whole time is like a, an, an influence. Definitely right? going to get some booing and yeah. stuff going on. Okay. And the final result of the gathering influence phase, you won that one, right? That was a success. Yeah. That was a success. Right. So you have more supporters in the crowd than That's the good. opposite okay. side. So yeah, there's cheering. There's booing, but the cheering is louder. Great. Yeah. And I also, the cheering for me and the booing for this guy. After you, yeah. yeah. So right. a, so after you speak, the cheering from your side drowns out the booing from the other side. Great. Okay. So what happens next mm -hmm. is this Bork stands up 
and he like starts to speak and it, like his voice breaks a little bit like <laughs> and then he's like <clears throat> and like speaks and you know i actually had this whole thing of like what Geetzer was going to say <laughs> but he's not nearly as good Great. right so he like takes on each one of your points and he just falls for the same trap that you that you did and he uh, goes even more even academic, more academic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that so that that's the advantage you gained by getting him Again, as your opponent instead of this, right? Right. So he doesn't manage to sway the crowd from where you have already left it. Okay. But he is experienced at courts of law, and he is able to read the crowd Mm. and sees that it's neither in his favor nor against it, Mm. but he has seen that you've managed to show yourself uh, as a resourceful young man, not to be underestimated. You had the advantage tracker up there pretty high. Um, Once he's done with his defense, then he asks for a short recess. I don't know if that's what they'd call it, but that's what he does. And then he takes you aside. Great. I was going to talk to him. Yeah. And he says, look, I know that this is very important to you and obviously to all of us and to the entire island, And I think that considering the stakes of Iceland, we're talking about Iceland here, I think that it would be best for all of us if we were able to come to a peaceful resolution between us. Now, I have been empowered by Gitzer and his son Islif to offer you a sum. A sum of Weirgild to compensate for the loss of your mother, which is great. I recognize that. So do the people I represent. So, now, uh, you happen to know that an average person's mm-hmm. wear gold is about 100 silver pieces. Great. It could go all the way up to, like, 800 for a really important person. Right. Okay. He says they are willing to offer 200 silver in recognition that this was not just any woman. She was outspoken, she was a leader among her kind, and most of all, your mother, right? So they're recognizing, just for your sake only, that this is so important to you, and your decision is so important to us and Iceland, we're willing to give you double the wear gold. Hmm. Will you accept this? I'm going to take a moment to look as if I'm kind of... I'm going to poke her face as much as I can, but like I'm kind of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to... Tell Bork. <laughs> Bork. Bork, old buddy. Like, no. What's, what's wrong with the name Bork? It's given like, to me by my mother. Every time he ever says his name, everyone around just thinks. <laughs> just Snickers. Um, I'm going to tell him, Bork, I appreciate you coming to me with the offer. I've also been empowered by Odin. He snickers a little bit and then catches himself. <laughs> Stops. <Sure>. Yeah. <laughs> I've been empowered by Odin to handle a matter that I have would never have chosen to handle. I can see a possible resolution that doesn't have to go to the verdict here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to counteroffer. But uh, I should come to wherever you're keeping Gitzer and Islief and talk to them directly with my offer. Fair enough. All right. All right. So you are led over to a, a booth... That has armed guards outside. Yeah. And inside, Islif and Gitzer, they're like sitting on benches. They've got ales in their hand that they put down when they see you enter. 
out of deference to their status, particularly the Geetzer status, they're not chained, That's but the chains are there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great. So so basically the shtick, I'm, I'm going to be addressing Geetzer, even though this is about both of them. Sure. Right? That's only appropriate in this society. Yeah. So I'm going to tell him I received your man, your man Bork's offer. He's also standing next to you. Which I'll kind of indicate to him, okay. you know. Uh, I've received the offer you sent with Bork. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, Geetzer. If this had been the offer sent to me immediately, after I learned of my mother's fate, I would have considered it. My mother taught me the value of law. And it's it certainly is a sizable bear guild. But you didn't. You didn't accept fault and send me the offer after your son killed my mother. You went to the public and tried to spin your son's crime as the righteous thing to do. And you told all the followers of your religion that. So we're beyond a point where I can accept money for my mom's death. I do have an offer for you. It's not an easy one for you to take. Maybe the best one on the table. Geetzer, who has these long silver braids and this kind of like hoarse, gravelly voice. He's like, Well then, young Stenudson, what is this offer that you speak of? It's pretty simple. I'm a duelist. We have a duel. The stakes of the duel are this. You can choose either one of yourselves, you or your son Isleaf, whoever you think is the better fighter, to stand for both of you. And if I win the duel, you will accept a penalty of lesser outlawry for yourself and full outlawry for your son. The world's a big place. There's a lot of Christian churches out there. You've got a lot of people who will probably help you if you flee the island. You go on, move on with your life. And if that happens, I am willing to back a resolution and tell the heathens that I will back this resolution of finding peace between the two religions so that the Christians here don't have to be outlawed when you're gone. Who's to say that they will be the ones who are outlawed? I'll just shrug. <laughs> and my my wolf-fur-covered wolf uh, shoulders. <laughs> Isli stands up and says, Father, we don't need to listen to this. I will fight him, and I will win. God is on my side. And Gitzer just kind of shakes his head, and he says, Son, God helps him who helps himself. I've heard that you are a berserker. And I'll just kind of tilt my head to the side, like noncommittally. Well, I suppose then that you'll use your techniques against my son here, if he's the one who accepts to duel you. Surely he has greater techniques from his Lord God. And these, I'm sure you'll agree, are heathen techniques. Some would say that. The shield biting, the howling like wolves, none of these are Christian acts in my mind. Hmm. Do you agree? I don't know much about Christian faith. I couldn't tell you what a Christian act is. I know that among the men who serve Odin, they're very respected techniques. So you would agree, then, that if we had this duel, that it would be a public deciding of the conflict between our two religions of which god is greater, yours <laughs> or ours? Hmm. I, I like it. He is, he is smart. He knows what he's doing. This is really good. I will give an appreciative nod at like how 
like where he's going with this. And I'll tell him, well, as your people have been fond of telling me many times in the last couple of days, I am very young. I can't speak for all the heathens of Iceland, but in my eyes, yes, I would be in agreement that it's a decision. It's a, it's a choosing ground between the two faiths. Very well, then. Then I will say that we can only agree to the duel, since we know that our god is greater. But, my son Islif, I'm afraid I cannot grant your wish that you be the one to fight him. Yes! Instead, I name a champion. Ooh. And he names blah blah blah. I'm going to name him Kettle. 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 There was actually a guy from the sagas named Kettle Flatnose. Oh, I love it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. And you're like, wait, who's this guy? Right? Yeah. You haven't heard of him. Okay. Do you agree? Well, so, is it is it normal that the... Does, do people have a right to name a champion in these? Yes. The wire farmers getting taken advantage of by duelists. They just name a champion. They probably don't they know don't any champions. Of, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Um, what is the name? Or you don't want to tell me because I would know other character. Uh, no, I just haven't come up with a name. <laughs> <laughs> it's been <laughs> Fork the second. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll agree to that. Okay. Very well, then. So, you proceed out of the tent. And I'll ask, I'll, we'll also set a date. Like, how many days does he need to get this jerk over here and, like, proceed with all this? He says he's, uh, we can do it at dawn tomorrow. Dawn tomorrow sounds great. Okay. All right. So, you're led out of the tent. It is made public, mm -hmm. which you have agreed to. Like, yeah. it's announced at the Law Rock. Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, oh! <gasps> you can see, they don't do it, they don't say it. But you can see in their eyes, they've got that fight, 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 fight kind of look. Right. You know? All right. Next dawn? Yep. Okay. So dawn comes. Yes. You get all your kit on. Yep. You know? You've got the wolf skin, you mm -hmm. said. Yep. Right? You've got three shields that you've got to bring. And I probably get up in the middle of the night and, like, get, like, out under the moonlight, like, at nighttime, mm -hmm. putting the... What time of year is it when the whole thing happens? Probably summer. summer. Okay. Putting the wolf skin over myself, howling at the moon, like, the whole crazy nine yards. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so you really get yourself psyched up for it. Yeah, I'm definitely right. saving the harvest by night and then, you know, fighting for heathenism in the day. Okay, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So in the morning, you show up, mm -hmm. and then Kettle Flatnose shows up. Mm -hmm. And he is just this, like seven foot tall just like guy with this like huge club and yeah. just like rippling muscles oh, he's got the club you know? he knows he's fighting a berserker okay <laughs> yep and then he's got his shields because in the duel you know you've got to break each other's shields before you can actually you know end the thing mm -hmm. okay and each of you also has a man to hold the shields in front of you as you duel right mm -hmm. so gilly is probably your man Sure, yeah. <laughs> Everybody crowds around, and they know that, like, the future of Iceland very well could be decided at this fight. They're going to tell their families, and their children might tell their children hmm. about this duel. There may be skalds that write sagas about this particular event, you know? Yes. So yeah. Everybody is there and watching. And overhead, just as the sun is dawning, you notice... A raven circling yeah. above. <laughs> All right. Then they set up the field. 
Now, as we've heard, mm -hmm. because the, uh, there was a duel involved in our second episode of this series, right? The Sword mm -hmm. and the Magic Duel, that there's a very specific way that this is done. I'm not going to go through the whole thing right. because we've already heard that. Yep. But basically, they have to set up this cloak in a very specific way, and it sets up almost like a boxing ring that you kind of have to stay within. Hmm. You can put one foot off of the cloak, but if you do two feet off, it's considered running away. And uh, you have to do this ritual thing where you pound in these pegs and stand over and look between your legs up at the sky while holding your ears and say <laughs> these magic words. It's crazy. I mean, when all of that is done, the field is considered hazeled because it's like these hazel stakes that you put in there and then it's like sanctified and officially ready for a duel excellent yeah now how the duel progresses is you each get on the cloak and your second man mm -hmm. for you it's gilly holds a shield in front of you and you've got three shields each and you have to break each other's shields and then after that whoever's shields are all broken first mm -hmm has to defend just with your weapon. Right. And you cannot leave the cloak or you lose. Right. And you ex you take turns exchanging blows, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. when the blood of either of you <laughs> spills on the cloak, right. that ends the duel. And sure. then at that point, whoever is more grievously wounded has lost. Correct. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. So that's how it goes. Yeah. Okay. It's not necessarily to first blood, it's to when somebody's bloodied enough where that blood is dripping on the frickin'... Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is great. Right. I'm assuming that on the other side... Actually, are Geetzer and Islif allowed to be present for this? I know they're like kind of I will say yes. Yeah, that's good. I'm assuming that they're all doing some Christian blessing crumbum over there. Yeah, they're probably praying and making, you know... Yeah. Yeah. So I um, will just be like sitting in a very like kind of warrior-like posture, but just sitting on the ground very calmly, um, not going through a lot of ritual theater or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I just thought of this now, but probably the night before would have sent for the um, hermaphroditic heathen priest guy that I met not far from the all thing. Right, the, the heathen sorcerer. Yeah. Yes. I don't remember their preferred pronoun. Right. The he... I don't know if they Z? thought about pronouns. Probably, like, yeah. Probably, probably but, back yeah. in the old day, it was yeah. still a he. It's just kind of hermaphroditic, you know, or whatever. Right. It wasn't that he was hermaphroditic. It was that he dressed in a feminine way. Sorry, okay, yeah. Which is a kind of a grievous offense right. in Norse culture. So I'm going to have that person show up. And although I stay sitting quietly and calmly and erect like a warrior on the mm -hmm. ground in my wolf cloak, then I'm going to have that guy go out and do a formal blessing in the name of the old gods on the fighting arena and on the people present. Excellent. And I want him to go over and like bless the Christian side as well in the name of the gods. <laughs> really just mess with them. Yeah. Nice. Okay. You have advantage in duels. Correct. And you have advantage in combat if you use your berserker techniques. Yep. So that's coming up. Kettle is a big hulking warrior. He has advantage in combat. Mm -hmm. He has one source of advantage. Mm -hmm. You have two sources of advantage. Right. So you retain advantage. If I use my berserker techniques. As long as you use... Your berserker techniques. Which brings me to... Yep. So once he's kind of come out to the skin, it's a skin that's on the ground. It's a cloak. A cloak. And he's kind of like ready and challenging me and taunting me or whatever. I'm just going to get up, not directly approach the cloak yet. Mm -hmm. and here's the thing, Brandon. I was taught by, who was it? My uncle who was the berserker? Uh, he was just Ultrig the berserker. Ultrig the berserker. Mm -hmm. I was taught by this guy. Mm -hmm. He was an old school berserker. He was legit. All right. 
There's a lot of uh, gossip that goes around about what a berserker is, what it does. And he taught me the real way, the ancient way. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to bust out. Everyone's expecting me to go out there and start chewing on my shield. That's for posers. <laughs> I don't chew on shields. Berserkers don't chew on shields. And this is a theory we didn't get to cover in another episode. I'm going to go out and take my shield, my rounded shield. Okay. I guess the first of three uh -huh. <laughs> of my three yeah. shields. And I'm going to hold it up to my mouth. Uh-huh. Facing almost like I'm holding it flat out in front of myself, except it's rounded. Okay. As if it's a megaphone. Okay. And this is a theory because apparently the very early Germanic warriors, the ones who fought the Romans, used their shields as like amplifiers, resonators, to resonate their weird howling war cries at the Romans. Wow. Okay. And so one theory is, yeah, if you don't really know what they're doing and you're at a distance, it would look like they've got their shield up to their mouth, they're making wolf noises and moving their mouth and maybe they're chewing on their shield. Uh -huh. But what they're really doing is chanting prayers and howling and making animal noises with the resonator of the shield. Oh, so that, that it becomes an otherworldly, just like bagpipey horn kind of like bullish racket. Oh, wow. That is totally badass. Right? <laughs> so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start getting more psyched up and stoked and just like there's spittle coming out of my mouth and I start yipping and yelping and then howling like an animal and I just throw that shield down. I just throw it on the ground and it like Gelly has to pick it up and I just start just pull the, the wolf skin down just over the crown of my head so I can see, but I've got a big old wolf like mouth on my mm -hmm. forehead. Yeah. And just like, I'm ready for this guy. I'm going to go out and break some shields. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so the <laughs> heathen side, the people that are watching, they're just like, what? Yeah! <laughs> they're, they're pounding on their chests and right, everything. Right. And the women that are watching, because they're women present, even right. though they couldn't like speak in the assembly, right? Yeah. But they're there and they're like, what? They're like chanting prayers of support yeah. and magical incantations Great. to like bind the opponent's hands and things like that. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Christians of the island that are watching are they're like making the sign of the cross and they're yeah. like devil and they're just like castigating <laughs> you and like trying to like exercise the demon out of you. Great. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> All right, so are you ready for this now? So is this to break shields? Yep. Do I, so do I have advantage on this? You have advantage. Okay. Do we do it three times, once for each shield, or are we just going to... What's the net result of the shields? The person Advantage, who, it'll give you a source of advantage on the final one. So if he gets it, we'll be tied, nobody has advantage. If I have it, then I'll retain advantage. Yes. Okay, okay. so it's going to be three tests. Yep. It's like best of three, basically. Great. Okay? Yep, okay. All right, ready? So, yep. Rock, paper, raven, shoot! Okay, he, I so won that he one. He won that. Okay, yeah. so it's okay. one him, one zero for, well, right. zero one for me. Yeah, so yeah, he okay. shatters your first shield. It's fine. I don't need okay. it. I threw it away anyway. Great. Okay. <laughs> All right, ready? Yep. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Oh, and you shatter his shield. Crunch. And it just like, there's splinters that goes into the audience. All right, this All right. is the final one. Okay. This is the decider. <gasps> <laughs> okay. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. And you got it! Yes! <laughs> okay, so you retain advantage. Okay, that's and great. Now, he's out of shields, yep. right? So he's just got his big club that he takes with two hands, <laughs> right? And he puts his both feet, plants them firmly on the cloak. Right. And he cannot retreat. I start running around the cloak, the outside. I haven't entered the cloak yet for the mm -hmm. dual duel, and I'm right. running around the outside of it, sometimes on all fours, just howling and just acting like a complete <laughs> mad dog, kicking up dust, ripping it up with my fingers, 
and baring my teeth at people, snapping at the Christian side, howling at the heathen side. And eventually, and I, what I want to do is he is getting impatient. He's like probably yelling, like, come and fight, come and fight. And I want him to be getting just more vexed and frustrated and flustered that I'm just like acting like a freaking idiot instead of coming in to fight him. Mm-hmm. And once he seems really kind of like bothered, mm-hmm. then I just grab my shield and lunge onto the cloak and plant both feet. Nice. Yeah. All right. So this is the, the final blow here. <laughs> oh, God. This is for Odin, everybody. Yep. So you have advantage. Tie goes to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you succeed here, then it'll mean that you manage to wound him, and then he's the more grievously wounded, falls on the cloak, ends everything. Which means and you would win. Heathenism has been seen as triumphant. And these two people from Geetzer Geets- and Isleaf has mm-hmm. to have to leave Geetzer for at least three years and his son forever. And since I can kill them legally, I will hound them as soon as they finish their little refuge period. That is that is what has been agreed to. Great. All right. This Are you ready excellent. for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Okay. So you get your, you got a sword? What is this? Oh, uh, yeah. I have a sword. Okay. Yeah. So you get your sword ready, mm-hmm. right? You get pounding it on your shield. Yeah. He gets his club and he's just like, in the name of the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Ready? Yep. Brock, paper, raven, shoot. And you win it. (laughs) I decided in advance I had to do raven on that one. Okay. You have to. I'm like, this is for Odin. This is for the gods. Sure. Yeah. All right. Yep. So, yeah. So you managed to get, he, he tries to, parry your sword blow with his club but you were fainting and then you whip around and you go in for the achilles tendon and you great blood sprays and it gets on the cloak and even a little bit on the audience (laughs) i feel like i'm already biting his neck with my teeth by the time they call that there's blood on the cloak don't pull me (laughs) off of him yeah okay so you're like practically on him like um who's that boxer like oh yeah mike tyson yeah he's a true berserker yeah Yeah. right And, and then you're separated and The duel is not allowed to go on any further. Fair enough. And then uh, the crowd judges that, yes, indeed, only Kettle Flatnose is the one who is bleeding. So therefore, he is the more grievously wounded. Therefore, you are the winner of the duel. In Berserker-like fashion, knowing that there is like a a mythos that Berserkers just keep on fighting until the enemy is eradicated, that they kind of can't be stopped. I'm going to not hurt anybody. I'm not going to go after him again, for real. But okay. I am going to be, like, throwing down the sword and, like, doing my, like, wolf all fours and, like, lunging into Krishnati and snapping my teeth as if I could just, like, go after anybody next. Just, like, as if my guys have to come and, like, pull me back and try to get me calmed down and the women have to, like, try to, you know, all that stuff. Excellent. Yeah. They bring out a trough of water. Yes. And, like, douse you with it to kind of bring you out of your rage. I'm going to be known for the fact that it took three troughs to get me out of my rage. <laughs> Very good. Three. Thereafter, you are known as Snorri Snorri Three, three Troughs. troughs. <laughs> and like 500 years later, two podcasters like, what does that even mean? What do some of these Viking names mean? <laughs> Snorri three troughs. <laughs> okay, excellent. So that day, Thorgir, your chieftain, yeah. and the one who was appointed to be the final decider of the fate of Iceland on this religion issue. Mm. He spends the entire day in his booth lying under a cloak. Ooh. And this is something that is actually in the saga. He, yeah. this, it says that he lies under a cloak so that no one may speak to him and therefore influence him. Oh, cool. 
Who knows if it was like something more ritual going on? I don't know. But that's what it says. And then I'm going to say first how it happens in our game here. Mm -hmm. right? And afterward, I'll give the histor historicity of it, right? right? But this is our story, right? Great. Okay. Thorgir goes to the law mount, climbs the law mount. Everyone is like, oh, crawl, calling and be like, this, you know, and it's like, he just raises one hand and says, peace, peace. Ooh. And everybody quiets and hushes to hear the fate of Iceland. And he says that he has come to a decision. The decision is gods have clearly shown themselves this day. All of us have witnessed it. And those who represent the Christian God on this island have pledged their word, no doubt inspired by their God, that the outcome of this morning's battle would demonstrate who is to be the God of Iceland. Ooh. Iceland shall hence and forevermore be heathen. And there's a lot of booing, <laughs> but there's a lot of agreement. And he says he calls on Gitzer and Islif to pledge to this fact. Whoa! And he's like using leverage to be like, they would be dishonored if they said they were, you know, yeah. they went back on their word. And so reluctantly, they both mount the law rock and address their Christian side and say, like, I know that this is a sad day for you, but don't worry. God is merciful. God is just. And he will have his day, but in his own way. Hmm. Therefore, we must abide this decision for now that we may have peace in Iceland. I feel like our side is already cranking out the pamphlets to go and try to convert people back from Christianity. Like, want to yeah. sign up with a real god? Check out Odin. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that is what happens. Great. You managed to turn the tide of history. That's amazing. Yes. And there's this little epilogue for um, Snorri. Mm-hmm. And he's going to return to his ancestral land, set things right at the homestead, and spend the entire, however long the Geitzer family has to, like, do their three homesteads, get their stuff together, and kind of have refuge before they get out of Iceland. Mm -hmm. I'll use that length of time to formally and publicly mourn my mom and, like, kind of make a promise at her grave that I'll finish this. And then I'm going to leave Iceland, too, and just hound them all across Europe until I get my peace. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's the end of our role play for today. So just to wrap up this episode, I'm just going to give, like, the, like the what really happened. Great. Uh, that's recorded in Njal's saga. Cool. So what actually happened was Thorgir, after lying under the cloak for a day, he came and he announced his decision. And we already know what it was going to be, right? Mm -hmm. So Christianity was to be the religion for the island. But he said, but he made specific caveats to mm -hmm. that. So he says, this is the foundation of our laws, that all men in this land are to be Christians and believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and that they are no longer to worship idols, nor expose children, mm. nor eat horse meat. And the specific mention of those things. The horse meat was because of the funeral, right? He oh, okay, horse right. meat at the funeral. Yeah. The fact that he mentions these things in this is why I made your whole story about exposing That's children excellent. and horse meat. Dude, nice right? job, yeah. So he says that Icelanders are no longer to do any of these things. But, he says, if any man is found guilty of these practices... He should be condemned to outlawry, but if he carries them on in secret, there shall be no punishment involved. Okay. Meaning, as long as everybody publicly is like, hey, we're all Christian, but mm. you go home and you do whatever the F you want, right. we're going to be cool. Hmm. 
So everybody gets to have their own religion in your privacy of your own homes, but just publicly on the surface, we're deciding to be a Christian nation. Right. And this is... It's the most House of Cards-esque solution. Like, well, it's it so is, political. I well, love it. Well, it is political yeah. because it's it would be really hard to persist as a heathen nation. They'd be like almost the only heathen nation left yeah. in Europe, practically. Right. Not the only one, but almost. And that's the true epilogue to the role play is like, and then 50 years later, the Christians won anyway. And it's like, even if even if my character got that decision, it's not going to last more than a century, right, probably. Right, yeah. right. Their, their greatest trading partner is Norway. That is now Christian. Yeah. Norway is probably just going to attack them if they, become, if they persist in their heathen ways, etc. Yeah. So it is a political move as I see it. Yep. But this the way he makes the piece. Yeah. Now, little little tidbit to that is it's only like a couple of years later that they rescind those special privileges <laughs> and be like, nope, even the just privacy own room, you just create straight up Christian yeah. or you're getting punished. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few other things regarding the horse flesh. There is a note in Beierschmidt's and Hollander's translation of Yell Saga that explains that the horse was actually sacred to Odin. Perhaps because of his horse Sleipnir, I would assume. It's like an eight-legged horse that right. he can almost... I think he flies with it, if I think. I think. So. Yeah. Or at least runs fast. Right. And its meat was eaten at sacrifices to him. In any case, I, in this narrative, kind of tied it into Ibn Fadlan's report of a Viking funeral yes. where a horse was sacrificed. Right Regarding the exposure of children, as mentioned in part one of this game, there was a long-standing traditional belief that Iceland can only support a modest population, Ooh. and so only the strong are allowed to survive. Now, this actually continued even into the Christian period, historically speaking. Mm. Here I've made it, uh, you know, how when a religion really gets started in a place, the first generation is really zealous. Right, right. So I've made it like, no, they were going to make a stand on this. But historically, well into the Christian period, they still thought like, we're going to keep the population down. We're going to keep exposing children. Even though the official proclamation was... Uh, we're going to outlaw the exposure of children, the eating of horses, and the worship of idols. Yeah. But unofficially, everyone just kept exposing kids anyway. Yeah, that's what it seemed to be. Right, yeah. Yeah. In any case, now the where are they now kind of phase. So this is where the credits are rolling, you know, and then mm. there's like the scene of like a, like a <laughs> <laughs> right. snapshot of what happened right. to this person. Gelly right? becomes king of Norway. Yeah. So <laughs> Thorgir, he converts and he throws his idols into a waterfall that was thereafter called Goldafoss, or Waterfall of the Gods. Hmm. So he was your chieftain and the one who decided for everybody right. that he becomes Christian. Valgard the Grey, mm -hmm. the one who advised you in the last episode, historically he, at least in the saga, his son asks him to convert to Christianity, but Valgard the Grey actually refuses, and he breaks crosses yes. in front of his son, just like you did, and holy tokens before him. But soon after that, he takes ill and dies, and he is buried in a cairn at Hof wow. on Iceland. He was definitely um, stricken down by God. The heathen chieftains at the Althing, mm -hmm. when this decision came down, and historically it was, you know, we're going to go Christian, right? So many of the heathen chieftains said, okay, we'll become Christian. But they declined immediate baptism in the cold waters of the Oxara River there, mm. and said... Nah, we're good. We're going to just kind of baptize ourselves in the nice hot springs on the way home. <laughs> but it was it was an interesting way for them to be like, we're not going to let you fucking do this to us. Mm. We're going to do it to ourselves. But saying that, yes, we will submit to be Christian mm. allowed them to keep their power. Right. 
So they managed to hold on to their positions by compromising a little, but they still got that little little bit in there. That yeah, respectable. Like, We're not going to do it here. Right. Yeah. Geetzer the White, his final fate is not told in the saga. But as for Isleif, he becomes the first bishop of Iceland. Hmm. And historically, his inclusion in Njal saga is quite questionable because... Other sources say that he wasn't born until six years after all of these events take place. Oh, but it's a little more aggrandizing if he was there at the time. Yeah, the and his, his name is actually in there. He's actually in Njal Saga. Okay. So, yeah. Now, as for the things that I kind of took poetic liberties with, Geli, I just completely made up. Hmm. But that law about his, like, how he right, right. with the greased cow tail, that was real. There was no mention of your mother Stainen after her war with words with Thangbrand, hmm. so I like... I was inventing, like, how you come into the picture and everything. Really good job with, like, putting us all together. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. And finally, Stainen did, in fact, have a son. And mm. if you had chosen to be the Skald, I would have made you that son. Oh, interesting. Because the name of her son, and this is all we know about him, was his name is Skald Ref. Hmm. So, must and have the had... the Skalds were the poets? They were the poets, Great. yes. And that's about it. Cool. Yeah. Yes, way to go, Iceland. <laughs> yeah. So that's our episode for today. That was kind of an epic long one, but I <laughs> hope it was worth it. And uh, next time, we are going to have uh, something that's really going to be fun. Next time, we are going to find out what it was like for women in Viking society. Oh, cool. And specifically, this is going to be about shield maidens and other badass women. Cool. Yes. That sounds great. Yeah, so we're going to have some special co-hosts for that one, my cousin and his fiance, and it's going to be great. So everybody definitely come back for that one. That's next time. Um, remember also, support us on Patreon, get a review on, on Stitcher, you get your portrait drawn. I will draw you as a flat nose, <laughs> <laughs> or I will draw you like with your shield as a megaphone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. All right. Thank you for being on the show, Andre. Thank you. I'm BT Nieberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Woo, 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 woo.